0: Well, saints, this morning we'll continue our fellowship that we've had over the weekend on uh, parents and serving ones conference to fellowship how to perfect and raise up the next generation for the Lord's move and for His interests. Uh, just to review for the benefit of some who have not been here, we'd like to tell you that on Friday night we started with some fellowship about the importance the vision and the importance of the next generation for the Lord's move, realizing that we're at the stage in church history that the Lord will soon end this age, and that we have to do a work that matches the age that we live in, realizing that there needs to be a young generation raised up for the Lord, that when the Lord wants to change the age, He always goes to the young people. And we certainly would love to see that the young people raised up in our local churches and in our uh, our families and in our midst would be those certain young people that the Lord could go to and that through them He could change the age. And so that we saw that this is a very important work uh, and we need to have a vision that controls us concerning this labor. And this labor begins with the children, uh, the children's age, the children's work, and it passes through the junior high age and the high school and even into the campus, the college work, all the way through. Uh, ultimately, the Lord could have something uh, very much in his hand that he could use. Then in the second session, we saw, we began to ex- fellowship about how to bring the young people into the church life, by bringing them into the church life through the homes, through the uh, small group meetings, and we saw that this is a crucial part of their church life, that we should not wait until they're in college before we do this, that this has to be done right away. Once they are baptized, they have become the members of the body of Christ. And as members of the body of Christ, they need to be in a small group meeting. They need their own definite church life. You know, I see the young brothers sitting over here. It's wonderful. I love to see all the young people sitting over here. Just like to tell you, you know what brothers, you all need your you need your own church life. Not your parents necessarily. For sure, your parents have raised you up in a particular way, but you are now believers in Christ. And as believers in Christ, we need a family. We need a community of saints that surround us. We saw that in the church life, in the small groups, and in the homes, we have this verse in Hebrews uh, 10.24 that says, And let us consider one another how we need to have this kind of church life that is considering one another. Everyone's situation, with a heart, with a shepherding care, with a love, they're on our radar, they're, they're in front of us, they're eating with us and they're meeting with us and they're in our small group church life. I like to tell the saints, we as the real body of Christ people We cannot make it by ourselves. We have to have others. And we need a lot of companions. And we need companions of all different ages. Some, we need grandpas in the church. We need dads in the church. We need moms in the church. We need even little brothers and little sisters in the church. Some will be coming behind you. And they need your care. And you need them. So that you can care for them. You see, this is the church life in the homes. In the next session, yesterday morning, we saw that a crucial factor for raising up the next generation is for us to realize how much we need the humanity of Jesus for the church life. That the church life is not built only on divinity. Gold is good, but gold cannot stand by itself. Gold needs the acacia wood. The tabernacle was built with boards, standing boards. In Exodus, when it speaks of the standing boards, or when it speaks of the boards, it describes them one and a half cubits wide, 10 cubits tall. 10 cubits tall is about 15 feet high. That's a big board. And one and a half cubits wide is only half of a full unit. A full unit would be three. In God's building, the numbers are three and five, indicating that no board can stand by itself. You have to have other boards next to you. You need to be joined. And then there's the, the rods that join the boards together. But these boards are boards of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And it's clear, it says definitely that the boards are standing up. Nobody builds a building like this, with boards like this. Would you ever build a house like that? God did. (laughs) We wouldn't, but that's how he did it. We do like this, right? Why, for sheer and and, and structure? Isn't that interesting? He wants the boards to stand up. You know what? You know what this indicates? that the testimony of Jesus in all the local churches is a standing up testimony. That it has to stand in an evil age. It has to stand even like a lampstand is standing there testifying. The wood is supporting and the gold is expressing. On the inside is the humanity of Jesus. And for the expression is the divinity of Christ. And this is what the testimony of Jesus is made of and how we need, we have to help our young generation to feed on the test the humanity of Jesus in order to have the highest humanity, the highest character, the most dignified kind of living in the schools, in our neighborhoods, in our families, we're not low people, we're not. People without a character, without a morality, without a standing. No, we are standing boards. And we're built together into the Lord's testimony. You see, this is this is a, a striking striking point in our work with the next generation is to prepare them to be part of God's building. Then the third session we had yesterday, our fourth session overall was called the emphasis of a genuine work with the young people. Of course, we all would like to do a genuine work. Uh, we don't want to do a less than genuine work. But we saw that the emphasis of a genuine work with the young people is personal contact. It's one-on-one, face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth. I hope you got these three, three sayings one-on-one, face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth. You know, even in the reading for this message today, this morning, this mouth-to-mouth is repeated again. We showed you in the footnote on Second John, verse 12, how John, he says, I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to do this with paper and ink. But I hope that soon I could be with you so that I could speak to you face to face. I could write it down in an email. I could send it off to you in a letter. I don't want to do it that way. What I have to tell you really can only be done face to face. Then you get the infusion. And mouth to mouth, you get the food. You get fed. Um, you know, I actually, I have seven points this morning that I would like to give you, which represent the emphasis of our work. I don't know if you want to write these down, but I'll say them. Try to do it not too fast so that you can get them. The emphasis of our work is not on what we do, but on whom we have perfected. We saw this yesterday. Number one, it's not on what we do, but it's on whom we have perfected. Every one of us, you know, the day you get saved... The day someone preaches the gospel to you is the day that you can become a gospel preacher yourself. There's too many stories of people that on the day of their salvation went out and preached the gospel. We should not say that we're not qualified. That is an insult to your saving God. We're more than capable. At least we can do as much as what we are. Are you a believer? Then you could produce believers um so that's number one not on what we do but on whom we have perfected number two not on getting things done but on getting people involved saints isn't that something we all like to get things done you know this generation especially the young generation today is the generation of efficiency. You know, we notice sometimes in coordination meetings that when the brother... You know, at the beginning, we always prayed. We always prayed. But sometimes they don't come. They come late because they just want to... Just tell me what to do. Just what do we got to... Let's fellowship. Let's discuss. So they skip the prayer time so they could get things done. This is to be efficient. But we're not here to get things done. We're here to get people involved. Don't miss the prayer time. Amen? Number three... Not on maintaining what we have but gaining more to do uh, what we do. Not on maintaining what we have but gaining more to do what we do. That's our emphasis. Don't just maintain uh, your group, your ministry. Number four, not on working ourselves but on perfecting others to work. You know, some of us, we labored, we, we we really were faithful. We were faithful. And that was important, that we would be faithful to the end. And so we never let go of anything. We never passed on anything. We just held on to things. But we saw yesterday that we have to bring others into the work. We have to perfect others to do what we do. Okay, number five, not on success in our work. You realize the emphasis is not on success in our work, but on others' success. Not how many people you could bring to Christ, but how many you could perfect, and they could bring people to Christ. Now that is our emphasis on others' success in the work. Number six, not on doing a direct work, but on doing an indirect work. Not you doing it, but you doing it through others. Do you realize that the church is built indirectly? It's not built directly by a pastor, by elders and co-workers. The church is not built that way. In God's wisdom, the church is built by each one part, by every member. And so uh, it's always an indirect work. The work that the elders can do, the work that the co-workers or the serving ones can do, is to work through others. And finally, number seven, our emphasis is not merely on working on man, but working through man. Not on working, not merely working on man, but working through man. So that's our emphasis. The emphasis of a genuine work with the young people is summarized in these three, or these seven points. Then last night, we had a fellowship on changing our concept in our service, that our service needs to be one of perfecting others, teaching and perfecting others. So now we come this morning to our concluding fellowship. You know, I don't really consider all of these meetings to be like a message. Rather, I really like to consider them to be more like talks. Because they're really not in the, in the nature or the, or the format of a, of a message, but really kind of in a fellowship. And I hope you could receive it as kind of a fellowship that may be a perfecting. Okay? So do you have an outline? Let's turn to our outline and we could see that the title of the outline this morning is Shepherding the Young People According to the Lord's Heart. Shepherding the young people according to the Lord's heart. Uh, over the years, the last few years, we've had a lot of fellowship about shepherding. And uh, I hope that the fellowship this morning will help to crystallize everything we've covered this weekend. I believe that it all, all of what we covered the last five sessions needs this one to be complete. This is the way it's done. This is the heart that it it needs. One says, in his heavenly ministry, Christ is shepherding people, and we need to cooperate with him by shepherding people. Without shepherding, our work for the Lord cannot be effective. You know, Christ had an earthly ministry. His earthly ministry lasted only three and a half years. Of course, he was born and raised up. He lived 33 and a half years, and His earthly ministry was ultimately to go to the cross to accomplish judicial redemption. Then the Lord was buried and resurrected, and in resurrection, He became the life-giving Spirit, breathed Himself into His disciples, and then He ascended. And now He is in the heavens, ascended, the ascended Lord, and in the heavens, He has a heavenly ministry. So you ask, what is he doing? What is he doing there? Well, you, simple answer is, in his heavenly ministry, Christ is shepherding people. He's the good shepherd, he's the chief shepherd, and he's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's shepherding people. Do you know how he's shepherding you? He's shepherding you by Through the church life, he's shepherding you through your environments, through your health, through your financial difficulties, through many things that are going on behind the scenes. He is the heavenly administrator, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's arranging nations on this globe, and he's also arranging your personal universe to lead you to Christ, to lead you deeper into Christ. This is what he's doing. This is his heavenly ministry. And while he's in the heavens shepherding people, he needs, he needs someone on the earth to do what he's doing, to cooperate with his heavenly ministry, to do on the earth what he is doing in the heavens. In John 21, you come to the end of the Gospel of John, which really essentially ends in John chapter 20. You read the last few verses of John 20, and it's like it's the end of the epistle or the gospel. But then you read this added chapter, and it's a story of how the Lord went to the seashore to recover Peter. Peter had had a great failure, had denied the Lord. It was a terrible thing that he had denied the Lord. The Lord says, if anyone denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father who's in the heavens. Peter was finished. He was through. When the, when Peter was coming to the kingdom, the Lord would say, oh, I don't know him. He's nobody. I don't know him. I deny him. I, no, no, he's not mine. You see, Peter's failure was not a small thing. It was a colossal thing. Peter felt every bit of it. It was going to cost him the kingdom. He was finished. But now, now the Lord is coming in his heavenly ministry, still on the earth. Peter goes fishing. He's backsliding back to his old profession. And he's fishing. And again, he fishes all night and doesn't catch anything. And that night, it was very reminiscent of the day he was called by the Lord because on that day, he also fished all night and didn't catch anything. Then the Lord is standing there on the seashore and he says, children, did you do you have any meat? Did you catch any fish? To which they had to answer truthfully, no, we didn't catch anything. Then the Lord said, we'll put the net on the other side of the boat. They put it on the other side of the boat, and they pulled up a a great catch. Probably it was right about at that moment when Peter began to think, this is very familiar. I've This has happened to me before. And right then, he knew this is the Lord. He turns to John in the boat, and he says, it's the Lord. He jumps in the water, he swims to the shore, the Lord meets him there, and there there he is cooking breakfast on on the fire. That's a good pattern for your shepherding, you know, prepare breakfast for somebody. Then what he did, he began to ask Peter three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Feed my lambs. Do you love me... Peter's answer, yes, Lord, you know, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Eventually, Peter got troubled by the third question. Three questions match, probably matching three denials, you know. The Lord, Peter had denied the Lord three times. And so Peter was grieved the third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But the Lord was making a strong impression. See, by that time, Peter had completely failed. He was utterly defeated. He was giving up his mission, his commission. He was finished. And the Lord met him at the lowest point and didn't just try to bring him back to the meetings, didn't just try to encourage him a little bit. He brought him into the same ministry and work that the Lord was doing in his heavenly ministry. He was gaining Peter to be his co-worker. He was telling Peter, Peter, I'm going to be ascending to the heavens very soon. Nobody will see me any longer. They're going to think I'm gone. But you're here. And you need to take care of them just like I took care of you. You need to love them just like I love you. And you need to recover them just like I recover you. The same kind of feeling that I have for you in recovering you That's the kind of feeling you need to have for them in recovering them. And I'm going to be in the heavens shepherding people. I'm the heavenly high priest. I'm going to be praying for them. But I need you on the earth while I'm gone, while I'm absent. I need you on the earth to cooperate with what I'm doing, to be one with me, to do exactly what I'm doing. My heart is to gain them. My heart is to recover them. And I need you to go and recover them and go and gain them. That's what I need. I don't need you to go and rebuke them. I need you to go recover them. You have to be, you have to be me. I'm now deputizing you to be me, to be me to all these people. In just a few days, you know what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to fall, the church will be begin, Pentecost will take place, 3,000 new believers will be brought in. Every one of them needs you to care for them, not according to your culture, not according to the Jewish way, not according to your upbringing and your background, your disposition. No, 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 you can't do it that way. You saw what that way does. It's a big failure. What you have to do is you have to be me to them. In his heavenly ministry, he is shepherding people. That's what he's doing. And we need to cooperate with him by shepherding people. Without shepherding, our work for the Lord cannot be effective. So we come to the next point. Shepherding is to take all inclusive, tender care of the flock. Shepherding refers to taking care of all the needs of the sheep all-inclusive tender care means you know he's the shepherd and overseer of souls as a shepherd of our souls he cares for our real being he cares for not the shepherd of our spirit it's our souls and if the sheep need grass the shepherd gets them to the grass if they need water he gets them to the water if they need shelter he he provides shelter All-inclusive care. It depends on what the sheep need. And it's not according to your thought of what they need. It's according to the heavenly minister's thought. The shepherd, the chief shepherd's thought of what they need. What this means, saints, is that we have to be so one with him, one with his feeling, one with his feeling for people. Now, this weekend, we've been fellowshipping about the need for uh, this kind of shepherding, this kind of work with the young people. But, you know, even the young people need to shepherd others. There's unbelievers in their schools. They need the Lord. There's new believers in the schools that need to be fed. And in the same way we raise up uh, our young people, they also will do the same thing uh, to others. Peter charged the elders to shepherd the flock of God according to God. This is in First Peter 5. It, it says this, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing, not under compulsion, but willingly, according to God, not by seeking gain through base means, but eagerly. Uh so we're going to fellowship a little bit about what it means to shepherd according to God. Maybe uh, maybe over the last few years, the expression shepherding has become maybe a little too common to us. So it's shepherding, shepherding. We may think we know. To shepherd according to God is to shepherd according to what God is in his attributes. All these verses here refer to God's mercy, His compassion, His kindness. He's the faithful God. There's the singleness and sincerity of God. Point B, to shepherd according to God is to shepherd according to God's nature, desire, way, and glory, not according to our preference, interest, purpose, and disposition. In order to shepherd according to God, we need to become God. In life, nature, expression, and function. Well, saints, when we read a point like that, we may think, well, that's going to take a little bit of time. And yeah, probably it does. But we, we need to learn how to be one with the Lord today. Especially in our care, in our contacting the saints. You know, yesterday we talked about perfecting others. And picking up one. Caring for that one. We have to do this according to God. Not according to any kind of excitement or according to any kind of uh, message or outline. We have to contact Him. Receive some kind of burden from Him. You know, to perfect somebody, there's, there's a little bit of... It's not a simple thing. And I realize this. I mean, and... In these kind of meetings, there's not the opportunity to delve deeply into all the details to give you a clear-cut way. But the way is to contact the Lord, to be open to Him, to receive a burden from Him, and then to become God in our contacting of others. You know, I have this thought from time to time that our... Our young people, and I, I, cause I think about young people a lot. I think about the junior high and the high schoolers. And I think if only they could see who they are when they walk onto their campus, they are God to that school. That's all God has. Teachers are not going to bring God to the school. The curriculum will not teach them God. The principal's not going to announce God over the loudspeaker. But just like Jesus, when he was in Galilee, and he was walking on the shore, and he was going here and there, contacting people. He wasn't doing a work. He wasn't uh, carrying out a gospel campaign. He didn't sing songs on the shore of Galilee and then, and then have a gospel message. He just walked around touching people. He walked around with compassion, with care, with love, with mercy. He just was. He just was who he was. That was his work. If all our kids would just walk onto a campus and be God to that school, and you know who you are. I'm a God man. It might be that these kids in this class will never get closer to God then they will that day they sit next to you in class. That might be the closest they will ever be to God. It's because they're sitting next to a God-man, someone who has the living Lord living in them. This is shepherding. Shepherding is not a work. It's just being one with the Lord in our care for other people, being joined to Him. So we need to be the reproduction of Christ. The expression of God so that in our shepherding we express God, not the self with its disposition and peculiarities. Sometimes the way we care for people is according to our disposition. Our disposition may may be intense. Our disposition may be passive. And that's the way we shepherded people was according to our disposition. We may have been strict. Some some are very strict. They're legal. Everyone gets an impression by contacting you that you are righteous, maybe even a little judgmental and critical. And then we shepherd with those elements. Even, we didn't know it because we don't know ourselves that well. We don't know our own Can you really identify your own disposition? No. But when we shepherd people with our disposition, we're trying to make them the reproduction of ourselves, not the reproduction of Christ. And then we make them, we impress them with our own peculiarity, which is not good either. So, number two, we need to become God in His function of shepherding the flock according to what He is. And according to His goal, according to His goal in His economy, the goal in God's economy is to work Christ into our whole being. Every part of our being. When we understand this, then we can work together with Him. I'd like to fellowship something with you. Maybe just... Briefly, But according to the divine revelation in the Bible, there are three layers of understanding. First layer is the gospel and salvation. This is the first layer. And all of us have to pass through this layer. We hear the gospel and we receive salvation. We get saved. Praise the Lord. And then we come to the second layer. This layer can be considered uh, blessing and prosperity. And this could be physical or spiritual. Okay, it's on this level that people begin to pray for the Lord's blessing. Lord, bless me with a good wife. Bless me with good children. Bless me with a good job. We pray for our finances. We pray for our health. We pray for His blessing and, and that we could have a prosperous life. And when we lose our job, we come back and we pray here again until we get another job. And then we may even stand up in the meeting on the Lord's Day and thank the Lord. Lord, pray, you know, I've been praying and praying and praying for a good job and the Lord blessed me with a job. Isn't the Lord good? God is so good. And we testify like this. But you know, saints, there's another layer. This is the layer of God's economy. And this is the, the layer of God working Himself in Christ into all of our being. Now, I'd like to ask you something. Nearly all of our prayers up till today are on this level and this level we have a besetting sin and we're trying to overcome we're praying for strength we're praying for power we're praying for victory praying for salvation layer one or our prayers are for the Lord's blessing prosperity praying for our health praying for our financial situation praying about our rebellious children or our marriage problems,
1: do you realize
0: that this layer right here is the most confusing layer of all? The reason why is this. This layer is confusing because, like Peter, in order for the Lord to gain Peter so that Peter could be his reproduction, Peter had to fail Peter had to have this. Peter had to have it. There was no other way in. And then Peter had to run out of money, so he had to go fishing. Peter lost this. You know, when you begin to pursue God in the Lord's recovery, according to the vision of God's economy, you realize that sometimes everything goes wrong. Paul was, Paul was ridiculed for this. Everything went wrong. And you think, well, you know, if, if you were really of God, then surely all these things wouldn't be going wrong in your life. You would be under the Lord's blessing. And so you say, where's the blessing? Where's the blessing? And the answer is, you're in the third layer. And all those things are happening so that you, so the Lord could open up your being. The depths of your being, areas in your heart and in your, your constitution, your disposition that have never been opened up before, that need to be opened up. You lose your confidence. You lose your boldness. You lost your, your, uh, your health. You lost your money. You lost everything. And now what? Now God's economy is thriving. God is working himself in Christ into all your being. So, we're still hoping to overcome that besetting sin. We're still hoping that whatever is bothering us, our job, our family, our finances are, would be solved. But actually, God's economy is racing like a jet flying. Because why? Well, you know, bad things happen to everybody. Unbelievers, believers, everybody, you know. doesn't mean they're all gaining God. You have to understand this. You have to cooperate with this. And so now when you go to shepherd somebody who's having financial problems, having health problems, you might say, well, you just if you just had faith, if you just had faith. We had a young sister like this in the locality where I was. who who had been sick for a long time with a particular disease. And she had been under the torment of some Pentecostal teaching that if she just had faith, she could be healed. And then she would get faith. She would conjure up some amount of faith. And she would go into remission. And she would go, praise the Lord, God has healed me. And then... A few months later he'd come back. oh she was devastated. I guess I didn't have enough faith. I guess I didn't have enough faith that's that's not shepherding according to God. So they said well if you just pray, just pray just have what's wrong with you just just have faith if you could only just believe and yeah if only I could believe so you fast and pray, oh please, Lord give me the faith. Help me believe. Help me believe. You need a vision of God's economy. God's economy is to work Christ into all your inward parts. He wants to gain access to your thoughts, to your emotion, to your heart. He wants to get in. He wants to get all the other stuff out, all the junk, the religion, the background, the culture, the disposition, peculiarities. have to see it. Peter, you are absolutely worthless for my economy. You could never be anybody in the church, yet you think that you're the only one in the church. You think you're the strongest one. You said, Oh, all these guys. Yeah, yeah, they're losers. They'll deny me. They'll deny the Lord, not me. I'm going to go to, to the, to prison, even to death for you. So confident. Not even, not even 24 hours later. The Lord said before you know before the cock crows three times you 'll deny me three times he denied three times, and then you know that that awesome story the lord's on a trial for his life, and he takes a few a moment to look over at Peter at that right exact moment. Peter denies the Lord the third time the Lord looks <laughs> Peter's going, he knows. Yeah, he does. But if Peter didn't have that, he was finished. He was gone. Saints, when we shepherd people, we need to know God's economy. We should not be just religious, shepherding them into the forms, into the methods, into the, uh, standards. We need to know God's economy then you know how to go and and be with a person like Peter who has denied the Lord, has backslidden back to the world, and you know how to cook breakfast for him and how to talk to him because you're one with Christ and you know how to go get him. Amen. Point three, when we are one with God, we become God and are God in our shepherding of others. Don't be bothered by this kind of language when we are one with God. Okay, uh, let, me, let me use this illustration or this kind of an example. When the Lord Jesus was on the earth, walking around, ministering, serving, sometimes he rebuked the Pharisees, right? How did he know when to rebuke the Pharisees? Well, he testified, I speak nothing for myself. What I hear, that's what I speak. He was rebuking the Pharisees because the Father was rebuking the Pharisees. And He heard it. And He spoke it. Sometimes He had compassion on that woman that sinned, caught in the, in the terrible sin. And He asked her, does nobody condemn you? You know, after the people, they all left, they were going to stone her. And she says, nobody. He says, neither do I condemn you. Why did he say that? Was that just out of the kindness of his heart? No, he heard that. The father was saying that. And he said, but 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 what about the Bible? What about the word of God? What about the Ten Commandments? You're just going to let her go? Is she just going to get off? I mean, somebody's got to die here, you know. This is serious. How can you just disregard the Bible? That's not righteous. Jesus you're not righteous. He goes, "You know, I just I just speak what I hear. I'm one with the Father. I'm not here seeking my own glory. I'm not doing my own will. I'm not doing my own work. I'm this is shepherding saints. And when we're one with him, we are him. He was the Father to those people. That's who he was. They thought, "Oh, this is Jesus." No, no, no. That wasn't Jesus. That was the Father." The Father was walking around Galilee. The Father was healing people. The Father was putting His hands on lepers. That was the Father. And the Father was living in the Son. And the Son was one with the Father, and the the Son lived the Father. And that's why the Lord said, As the living Father has sent Me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats Me, even he shall live by Me. So just like I live the Father, you need to live me. You need to do what I do. You need to speak what I speak. Do not speak out from yourself. If you speak from yourself, you're seeking your own glory. That's shepherding. You just go, whoa. We need shepherds. You know that? We need shepherds in the church. Sometimes after you shepherd somebody, then you have to go home and repent. Because you realize, I just shepherded them according to Tom. Not according to God. I did it according to Tom. It's my disposition, my way, my style, my, you know. All right, so let's go on. Should we go on? (laughs) All right, uh, Roman 4. Is it 4 in your book too? Good, okay. (laughs) We need to shepherd the flock of God according to the Father's loving and forgiving heart and according to the son's seeking, finding, and shepherding spirit. In 1996, <clears throat> very close to the end of Brother Lee's life in ministry, he called some very special co-workers meetings. The coworkers met with Brother Lee on Monday mornings, and he called these special co-workers meetings because he had a burden to share something with them. And not only did he invite all the co-workers, but he also included all the LSM brothers who were serving in the office with him. And he delivered some messages that were published in a book called A Word of Love to the Co-workers, the Elders, and the Lovers and Seekers of the Lord, or of Christ. And in these messages, he was very, very burdened to take care of a particular kind of situation that was going on in the recovery. And it was mainly, if you want to read Brother Lee's kind of final crowning burden concerning young people's work, you've got to read those first two chapters of that book. It was in the context, although he talked about the campus work, it wasn't. It was the high school and the junior high work. And he was very concerned that a particular kind of spirit was spreading in the Lord's recovery, a spirit that was critical, judgmental, regulating, not shepherding. And so he spoke about this, about having the heart, the loving and forgiving heart of the Father, the shepherding and seeking spirit of the son in our shepherding of others particularly the young people he said we don't shepherd them but rather we regulate them we classify them this one's good this one's not good even he used the example or uh, the illustration or the word we rank them some are higher some are lower we label them do you know what it is to get a label on you Suppose you get labelled Oh he's a rebellious one. Oh he's worldly. Oh he's opinionated. And you could go around the whole church. You could just name off everybody. Oh he, he he's this, he's that and you you could put labels on them. And maybe you don't even tell anybody, but you know you you know. Do you know how hard it is for these people to get out from under that label? Sometimes those labels become a permanent marker on them. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't get away. They couldn't get out of that. Brother Lee was concerned that so many young people had no way to come back to the church life. The standard was very high, rigid. And because of that, some couldn't make it. Because they couldn't make it, they stopped their church life. And then nobody cared. Nobody went after them. Nobody pursued them. And that this kind of spirit was in the church. And this was not only in the church, but it was spreading even over the whole globe, he said. And it was with the co-workers and with the leading ones, the elders, and the serving ones. This, this was about the time that I was coming into the work in a very full way with the young people and this met these messages had a tremendous impact on me just a tremendous impact on me and over the years I can testify to you in Southern California we have been very very burdened even desperate to change to take our brothers fellowship and to have a change and I can testify to you that it wasn't even three years ago, I, I forget what year, you know, the years go by so fast, it's like months, you know. Uh, but we were in Cebu, I think it was, for the elders training there a few years back. And after the elders training was over, the ITERO, the elders and responsible ones, I had a chance to sit down with some brothers, some of the co-workers uh, who were there, who were there when this was spoken. And I had a chance to open up to them. Brothers, do you feel, according to your realization, that this kind of spirit is still with us, especially in the Southern California churches? And I was really expecting that the brothers would say, no, 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 no. It's not not like that anymore. But to my discouragement, to my dismay, the brothers said, yeah. Still here. Uh, Of course, that again caused me to have some real serious kind of opening to the Lord. What kind of spirit, what kind of heart do we have for the young generation growing up in our midst? They're so, so crucial to the Lord's move and their function so vital. Yet sometimes the older generation maybe hanging on to standards and to expectations and view them with a critical eye. This makes it very difficult for them to remain. Do you know what ultimately what Brotherly said about this? He said, this is the reason for our barrenness for so many years. He said even a, a pastor, a passive pastor in the denominations could get a 10% increase Every year just by being a pastor. But he said we couldn't even do that. He believed it was due to this spirit. So I trust the Lord. I look to the Lord that my speaking will not, uh, will adequately represent the Lord's feeling concerning this matter. Now maybe we could read through these points. We should follow the steps of the process triune God in his seeking and gaining fallen people. This point about seeking and gaining even the gangsters, this was his utterance, the worst people. When the Bible says that for God so loved the world, this was the worst people of the world were the ones that were under God's love. Our natural tendency is not to shepherd others, but to criticize them and regulate them. Whenever we criticize someone, we lose the position to take care of that one. I don't know if you've ever realized this, Saints, but as soon as you have a critical thought, you have just disqualified yourself from rendering help to that person. I, I know, I know this personally from experience too often as soon as I had a critical thought about a brother or about a situation where I thought I knew what they needed then I come to them I can't I can't just be be God to that person I'm mixed my criticism has caused caused me to lose the position to care for that one Point two, our natural tendency is to regulate others and place demands on them according to ourselves, not to cherish and nourish them according to God. C, we need to have a change of concept through being discipled to have the divine concept, the concept that is according to the Father's loving heart and the Son's shepherding spirit. Our shepherding should be according to God's love toward the fallen human race. The fallen human race is joined with Satan to be his world in his system, but God has a heart of love towards these people. We need to be shepherds, having the loving and forgiving heart of our Father God in his divinity and the seeking, finding, and shepherding spirit of our Savior Christ in his humanity. You know, saints, uh, of course, we can follow the pattern of the triune God in Luke chapter 15 to know how He gains people. How does the triune God gain people? Well, He treats those sinners, those lost ones, those fallen ones, like that shepherd that had a hundred sheep and He lost one of them. <clears throat> and what did He do? He left 99 in the wilderness And he went after the one. Now, suppose he didn't go after the one. Suppose he just said, I have 99 and Bessie over here is pregnant. I'll have 100 again soon. That was his attitude. Suppose that was his attitude. Then what message does the 99 get? What do they hear? What do they see? What shepherding do they receive from that? what they receive is you're on your own if you get out if you if you go astray if you get lost you can forget it what does the one what is the what message does the one get there's that one what what does he get he gets you messed up you shouldn't have gone lost you shouldn't have gone astray you're on your own But if the shepherd leaves 99 and he goes after the one, what does the 99 get? What is the message they get? They get, Oh, what a shepherd. He'll never forget us. He'll never leave us. He won't let us go. They won't forget us. And what does the mess, what message does the one get? The one gets, Boy, he's coming after me. They're, get, they're gonna, they'll find me. I'm lost, but they're gonna find me. There's somebody coming. There's somebody coming. This is the kind of atmosphere we have to have in the church life. This is the kind of spirit we have to have. We had a lot that left, and nobody, le- nobody went. Maybe we were relieved because they were troublesome. Now, let's read uh, point F altogether. If this kind of fellowship is received by us, I believe there will be a big revival on the earth, not by a few spiritual giants, but by the many members of Christ's body being shepherds who follow the steps of the process triune God in seeking and gaining fallen people. Not only the seeking and shepherding of the Son, but then that one is returning and what does the father do? He runs. He runs. What eagerness. What a heart. That's a father's heart. You know, I, <clears throat> I thought about this a lot. I have naughty kids, you know. And I thought, you know, when that father in Luke 15 was approached by his son, and his son said, give me the share of my inheritance, you notice that the father doesn't give a lecture. I know what you're going to do. You're going to go here. You're going to blow it. You're going to waste it all. And then you're going to come crawling back to me. And you're going to need some more. Well, you just be sure. There's no more. You know, this is it. If you walk out of this house, you know, you, you know the lectures like that. No lecture. He just, oh yeah, okay, and he goes. But the father doesn't, isn't indifferent about this. The father's watching every day. He's watching the horizon. He's constantly watching. This is the father. The son is searching. The father is standing, watching. The spirit is sweeping and lighting a lamp. That's that's what the spirit is doing. Finally, the son comes to himself, decides to come home, thinking even the servants get more than I'm eating. And then the father sees him a long way off. That's what fathers do. They see because what they're watching and fathers are waiting. That's also what they do. That way, you see, that lecture would have made it very difficult for the son to come back. Number one, Number two, it would have kept the father from running. He couldn't be that eager. He had to be like this. I knew you. I knew you'd come back. Look at you. You smell like a pig. Where have you been? What did you do with my money? But no. Father ran. Oh, he ran. We all need to learn how to run like this, don't we? There's some that need our running, you know. Okay, in the last few minutes. Point five, we need to stir up an atmosphere so that we would receive a burden to restore the dormant saints, to seek out our brothers and sisters who have not been meeting and those with whom we have lost contact. We came across this chapter in one of the crucial words of leading books, book four. I was I was again blown away by this chapter. I was so affected by this chapter where Brother Lee was talking about receiving a burden and stirring up an atmosphere to restore the dormant saints, the saints who have not been meeting for a long time. Every church has lots, lots and lots of these. The saints, these saints are the harvest from our past labor and hard work. They were baptized, and they are our family members, but they have all disappeared. Therefore, we must take this matter seriously. You know, Brother Lee wrote a hymn. You probably don't know this. When the, when the work in Taiwan just began, right around 1949, 1950, Brother Lee wrote a hymn. It's hymn number 471 in our hymn book. It's a hymn that he was burdened to do what? To stir up an atmosphere for all of those discouraged, backslidden, weak ones would come back. The first verse goes, how can I ever stay away and grieve thy spirit all the day while thou dost wait for me? Brother Lee was touching the spirit of the father. He wrote it not from his position. He wrote it from the position of a fallen one, a backslidden, a discouraged one. And in that discouraged one is this thought, How can I ever stay away and grave thy spirit all the day when thou dost wait for me? I henceforth now will return. Does somebody have it? I don't know the next line. Verse 2. Now reserve all that I am and all I have that, oh, may the Lord and keep, that I may only seek. To the will. See, he wrote a hymn with the burden to stir up an atmosphere, both in the church and even in the seeking ones. You know what he did? He sang the song again and again with the saints. To put this feeling into them. Put this feeling into them. To go get the lost ones. Go find the lost sheep. Go restore the lost sheep. Now is the time to put the affairs of our household in order. And the first matter we should address is to find these saints in order to bring them back. If we would do this thoroughly by the Lord's grace, we could recover two-thirds of them within two to three years. We need to begin by recovering the brothers and sisters who seldom attend meetings, but whose whereabouts are known. This involves a work of visitation and restoration. We also need to locate the saints whose whereabouts are unknown. This is very time-consuming. And we're in the process of looking for a way that the churches can coordinate with each other in order to find these saints. You know, he talks about... These are the harvest of our past labor. When I was reading this chapter, I was thinking of so many of our young people that grew up in our churches and then left. They're the harvest of 12 or 15 years of labor. We had them for six years in the children's work. We had them for six years in the junior high and high school work. It wasn't like we just had them for a week or two. But for years, over a decade, they were baptized. They're our family members. So point C says, the key... Now, catch this. The key to recovering these saints is for the brothers and sisters who regularly meet in the small groups to receive a burden. Without a burden, it will be difficult to move. But with a burden there will be grace he said this is the job of the small groups small groups go after them that's and not just to bring them back to the lord's table meeting on the lord's day do you remember yesterday morning when we were on bringing them into the church life through the homes we said the the way to recover someone is to recover them first to the homes to the small groups that's where they're kept The the small groups will keep them. The big meetings cannot keep them, but the small groups can keep them. The saints who are wandering outside are scattered and not enjoying the riches of our family. They are truly like the prodigal son who could not even find carob pods to eat. But in the Father's house, in God's house, which is the church, the food is plentiful, therefore we must be compassionate toward them and bring them home to enjoy the riches in the Father's house with us. Okay. Visiting dormant saints needs much consideration. Don't just go crazy and go you, you'll you'll be discouraged very quickly. You have to do this very cautiously. With a lot of prayer and good coordination. Don't do this in a wild way. If we do not do it properly, we will drive them further away. Amen. There's opposite result can take place. As we seek out the saints, we must rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit is like, likened in Luke 15 to a woman who lights a lamp to seek a lost coin. The Holy Spirit is able to shine upon the saints with the Lord's word and is willing to search for them until they are found. This means we have to pray a lot. We're behind the scenes. We're one with our heavenly shepherd, our heavenly high priest, praying over the names, considering before the Lord, which one should we contact first. Finally, we come to this last section. Love is the most excellent way for us to be anything and to do anything for the building up of the body of Christ. One, we must have the kind of love to go and tell the dormant ones who think that the church condemns them that the church does not condemn anyone. Rather, the church wants to see all the dormant ones come back. You know this, saints, that when people leave the church life, they always have this thought that the church condemns them. they got a label. This is the thought. You know what Brother Lee said when you read this in here? He said, oh, if they would return, I would weep. You have to go tell them. Please, go tell them. The church doesn't condemn anybody. We, we, we would love to see them. You're our family, our family members. I would weep with joy to see them. Because the church is a home, a hospital, and a school, we must be one with the Lord to raise up, to heal, to recover, and to teach others in love. He said the church is not a police station to arrest people, a law court to judge people, but a home, a hospital, and a school. Love is not jealous, love is not provoked, does not take account of evil, covers all things, endures all things, never falls away, and is the greatest. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, Who is not weak? And I'm not weak. Are you really that strong? He said, Who is not weak? And I'm not weak. And who is not stumbled? And I myself do not burn. When somebody stumbles, it causes him to burn within. To the weak, I became the weak, that I might gain the weak. This is the kind of church life, the kind of spirit that we have to have.